hey, Commander players, this is actually the real James and Walt. It's true. It usually comes out that we're really goofy and weird at the very start of our episodes. We Look, we might be goofy and weird, but a lot less so in this yeah, case. We've actually got something that we're pretty happy to talk about, which is why we wanted to do it at the very top of this episode, because it's very near and dear to our hearts, and it's called A Good Excuse to Buy Cards. Now, more on the name in a second, but I wanted to quickly tell you about one of our dear friends, Ellie. You've probably heard of Ellie before on our mm-hmm. podcast. Um, you might even have seen her in our Discord server because yep. she's one of the judges who will answer your judge calls in the Ask a Judge channel. So you might even have interacted with Ellie before without realizing that this was her. Yeah, you've also seen her work because she helped me write the uh, reading the card won't explain the yes. card episode on this very podcast. That's true. But Ellie is one of our very, very best friends. And now we're really excited to announce that she is selling her entire Magic the Gathering collection on September 9th at Plenty of Games in Melbourne. And I want to kind of give you an idea of the scope of this collection, because Walt and I don't have huge collections. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. We, we throw them away. Yeah, we, we have an episode called Throw Away Your Chaff, yes, I'm pretty sure. we do. Ellie has started playing Magic in 2015 and been heavily invested in the community. She is, as we've said, a level one judge. So she's got some incredible stuff like judge exclusive promos, Mm -hmm. some event promos from way back when, which are really hard to come across, all that kind of stuff. And she's selling all of it. Now, this might sound like a bit of a bad thing. I know a lot of people hear I'm selling my entire Magic collection and go, oh no, they're stopping playing Magic. That is not the case. Ellie is definitely not playing uh, not gonna stop playing magic she's way too invested in this the reason why she's selling her entire collection is she's actually going to be raising money for gender affirming surgery now this is huge every single dollar that's raised from this mass sale of cards is going directly towards this surgery and just so you're all aware gender affirming surgery is a very challenging thing to receive the mass amount of appointments there is a assessments made both physically and mentally and then there's the cost of all that obviously and on top of that it is just a very invasive very major surgery but vital gender affirming surgery can reduce a trans person's need for mental health care and increase quality of life for the individuals receiving the surgery it also will just make them really happy yeah right? that's like the most important thing and like look <laughs> i don't normally spend a lot of money on cards this is known i have mm. a, a segment of every episode where I talk about how much I don't like spending money on cards, (laughs) feature other cards instead. I'm going to be going to this event and I'm definitely going to be picking up some high value singles because what a fantastic reason to spend a bit of extra money on some cards that you probably were going to buy anyway. And this way it's all going to go to someone receiving the healthcare that they need. And, um, you know, like just genuinely contributing to someone's life in a really positive way. I think it's an awesome idea. Yeah, it's awesome. And so you now see the idea of the name of the event being called a good excuse to buy singles, right? I see it. I really like it so september 9th plenty of games in melbourne you will have that good excuse to buy singles and like walt said get commanded will be there we'll be around we'll be playing games and you can even help we'll even help you like browse the collection we'll you know help curate some cards if you want to talk to us about some decks we'll give advice and all that kind of stuff for sure um i have also pre-ordered a very special card from ellie already I'm going to be buying myself a Wheel of Fortune Ooh, on September 9th. Huge for your Niv-Mizzet CDH deck. Massive. Like, massive level up moment. I also believe it's a third edition one, so you'll be happy because it's white-boarded. Hey, <laughs> um, but it, this will also be the most amount of money I have ever spent on a single piece of rectangular cardboard. Wow. And 
I have never felt happier about it, yeah, honestly. I'm exactly the same. I don't know which cards I'm going to get of Ellie's yet, but I know that I'll be buying some. Because if I see a card that I'm after, it's like, well... You know, there is never no get, better reason to do this. Never going to get a better excuse. Exactly. 100%. So if you would like to donate, there is a couple of ways you can do so. You can actually donate some cards towards this cause. If you go to plenty of games in Melbourne, if you can't make September 9th and you want to give some cards to help raise the money, you can donate cards to plenty of games specifically for this event. Just let the staff at the desk know that this is going towards Ellie's gender affirming surgery event and they'll put it aside for September 9th. Mm -hmm. We will, by the way, have the um, link to the Facebook event in the show notes of this episode mm -hmm. as yep. well. So yeah, if you are Melbourne based and you just want to see more of the details or get in touch with anybody, uh, plenty of games have an event on Facebook. It'll be linked in the show notes. So you can check it out there. Exactly right. And obviously you can buy singles for uh, from Ellie directly on the day, but the other way to donate is actually directly. There will be a link in the show notes to Ellie's PayPal and you can just send Ellie a little message with some extra little funds and just say all the best on her journey because it's it's a big one and mm. selling her entire collection she's letting go of some cards and some decks that mean a lot to her like mm. her Brea deck yeah she's selling every single car from that that's mm. huge but it's going towards something amazing. Yeah, and that's a really good option for those of you who are overseas. We know there's a few of you out there who aren't based in Melbourne, aren't based in Australia. That's yep. a really good way for you to um, support a really vital member of our community and, a, a, again, a really great friend of ours. Really, really amazing event. And I can't wait to see everyone there on September 9th. I've been talking to Ellie pretty much every day for the past, like, two weeks trying to organize this and make sure it's, like, all A-OK -okay to do in plenty of games and plenty of games are supporting it. They're even going to take what cards we don't sell on the day and sell them on their website and kind of raise funds through there. That's great. So there'll be more information after the event. If we don't sell enough cards, mm -hmm. there'll be more information on how to support. So yeah, we look forward to seeing you September 9th at Plenty of Games in Melbourne. Now, yeah. back to the usual scheduled programming of a weirdo and another weirdo yep. talking to each other with a microphone. Back to the weirdos. All right, transition. <laughs> <laughs> Waking up too early, maybe we could sleep in Making banana pancakes, uh, pretend like it's the weekend Morning, James! Ooh, that smells good, what are you making? Oh, banana pancakes, did you want some? Yeah, I'd love some Wait, what time is it? It's like 9.30 Aren't you meant to be at work already? Ah, I'm working from home today Yeah, but that means you should still be working right now Yeah, but... Banana pancakes. James, you can't keep doing this. You have to get your priorities in order. Work means that you earn money to buy bananas, so you can make banana pancakes. If you get fired because you're not working, you won't have money, which means you won't be able to buy bananas, and therefore won't be able to make banana pancakes. Alright, look, I get what you're saying, but... If I don't eat banana pancakes, I won't have the energy to work, which means I won't make money, which means no bananas, and therefore no banana pancakes. So really, I do need these banana pancakes. You could have just woken up a little earlier. Yeah, I needed to sleep in. What were you doing last night that took priority over getting a good night's rest so you could wake up on time to make banana pancakes, to have the energy to work, to earn money, to buy bananas and make banana pancakes? I was playing Commander. Well, at least you had that priority straight. And learning how to make banana pancakes.
god. That's literally <laughs> all my nights are, is just uh, playing Commander and then getting home and eating a ton of food because I haven't eaten dinner properly because I was in a game. Or, yep. uh, uh, it's amazing experience. how much of the time you just don't eat enough food because you're playing Magic. It's I get a- home from most like nights at Commander and go like, God, I am extremely hungry and have been for several hours now. I also appreciate so much that Commander players are always like, oh, all right, we finished a game. We should probably eat or we could cram another game. <laughs> When time is tight, yeah. food moves down the I priority know, list. Which is not correct. Eat, eat bananas. <laughs> it's true. Well, welcome to the Get Commanded podcast. It's the GCP brought to you by POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. We're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James. Now, I did want to remind everybody of last week's episode Mm -hmm. uh, because there is a link in our show notes to our Patreon where you can get a copy of Thursday Incarnate. Mm. uh, And if you really want, you can get a signed copy as well, which is pretty cool. Yes. It's, it, it was such a cool episode. I'm so happy that you <laughs> reached 100. You'd be at 101 uh, by the time this episode comes out, right? 102? 101. There'll 101. be 101 by the time this comes out, yes. The, the timing of recording I and know, releasing is wild. It's impossible. But yes, absolutely. If you sign up in the Quadrant Lieutenant tier, uh, you will get a link to the deck list that I built as part of last uh, week's episode and a copy of Thursday Incarnate. And yeah, if you sign up at a higher tier, you can get a signed copy and a link to my live deck list. Mm. See me substitute cards as I do that. So yeah, head to patreon.com slash getcommandedpodcast. There's all that on offer and a whole bunch more. So it would mean a lot to have your support. Yeah, and you can check out the last episode to to understand exactly what the hell we're talking about. Absolutely. And speaking <laughs> of what the hell we're talking about, I can see the green light is blinking. Mm, so. so what the hell are we talking about this week? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we've got an incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy from the Space Commanders. It's time to get commanded. Magic the Gathering has many rules, but one rule's intricacies are overlooked most often by players. However, this rule is crucial to the function of the game. Priority. In no other format is priority more complicated than it is in Commander. Outline its workings and find the moments where priority can be utilized for a player's advantage. The rulesy kind of bend your brain on how the hell our game actually functions kind of episode. Another one of those ones where we sit down and go like, oh, this can't be that complicated. And then it's like, oh, no, no, it is. <laughs> this game is the world's most complicated game for a reason. Yep, it's um, absolutely silly complicated. But that's what we're here for. Uh, and most importantly, James, who <laughs> takes much more time to actually read the rules documents. I've actually done that. Um, it's, yeah, great read. If you need to go to sleep, I'd recommend reading it. <laughs> it's a long document. It's a long document. So what we're looking at, we're looking at priority and then specifically they want us to, I'm guessing later in the episode we'll do that, yeah. look at how we can then like manipulate priority. So I guess we should start with just like what Defining even... Defining it. Yeah, what's priority? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think that you have to talk about two things here because there's priority and then there's the stack. So Mm. we'll define both of those really quickly. They work together a lot. Yeah. Well, priority, firstly, this is what we call the opportunity every player has or will receive 
when they can do something like mm. cast a spell, activate an ability, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The stack, on the other hand, is the place where spells and abilities go before they resolve. So each spell or ability goes on top of each other and then it resolves in reverse order. So what was put on the stack most recently resolves first and then so on and so forth goes all the way down to the first thing that was put on the stack. Yeah. And the, the, the thing about the stack as well is that like, yeah, it, it's called that for a reason, right? It kind of makes sense. You yeah. stack everything on top of each other and then it's like, cool, we've got to make all this happen. Let's start at this top card start here. Top. So, and a lot of the time in a game, you, those of you who played a lot of Commander will know, often you just stack all the cards on top of each other and go, mm. like, okay, I've got this one, then this one, then this one. What's going to happen? Yeah, I think that... Yeah, I've got a couple of good visualizations for people if they want... Because I love you a good love metaphor. love a good metaphor. Love a good metaphor. But I think... Okay, we'll start with priority again. Mm -hmm. Imagine priority... Like you're in primary school. Mm -hmm. And do you remember when the teacher brought out that talking stick? Yes. That only people with the talking stick can talk? Yes. That's exactly what priority is in Commander. It gets passed around. Everyone gets the talking stick. It's true. But you can't talk while someone else is holding the stick. Absolutely. I've, I have had to, in games before, tell people like, Hey, actually, I have priority right now. Yeah. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> Um, you can't cast anything right now. I didn't. I didn't say it in those words. I have the talking stick. Yeah, I have Bonk the talking stick. Yeah, exactly right. Now I like this metaphor because it kind of it, like basically is the exact same visual that you just created of stacking cards on top of each other. Mm -hmm. But for the stack, imagine you're cleaning up the dinner table and okay. you're stacking plates on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Each plate is a spell or an ability. Yeah, and when you take it over to the sink. When you're resolving that stack, <laughs> you will wash the plates from the top down. You're not going to slide out that bottom plate and try and wash that first. You're going to take the top plate off, wash that plate, and then you'll move on to the next plate on top of the stack. Very good. I See? like that. There's, there's, I have, I have a lot that I like about that metaphor. There's one downside, unfortunately, which is that we're talking to a bunch of nerds who probably have never washed a dish in their life because they live at home <laughs> with their parents. So, um, I'm so Call sorry. Out. Imagine you're Jeez. your parent washing your dishes oh. for you. I'm so sorry. Damn, that's, that was that's rough. That's so needlessly harsh. <laughs> so, you woke up on the wrong side of the I, bed this morning. It was just... <laughs> There was no need for that. <laughs> there really there wasn't. Was no, I'm so sorry, everyone. And also, really, we live in the 21st century. Everyone has a dishwasher yes, nowadays. Imagine you're putting them into the dishwasher. The dishwasher yes. will wash them for... <laughs> no, it's true, though. That, it totally makes a lot of sense, right? Like, yeah, that's the way that we do things in magic is that, yeah, the, the yeah. things go on top of each other and you always start at the top. So I, I like that. Dirty dishes... Always washing dishes from the top. Nice. Very All nice. Right. Well, now that we got these kind of in together, I, I feel like we need to talk about both of those things because this is always going to cross over in some ways. And we'll totally see that when we get down. Now, there's one more thing before we kind of go through how like priority passes around the table in terms of turn order and that kind of stuff. And it's the active player. Mm. I just want to quickly define this right here because you might've heard this in a game store when someone calls a judge and the judge will be like, well, this is active player, non-active player. And, da -da -da. Mm. and you're like, what the hell is an active player? Yeah. It's whoever's turn it is. Yeah. It's the fancy term for it's, this person's turn. Yeah. If it's Walt's turn, Walt is the active player. Mm -hmm. Everyone else at the table are non-active players. The really important reason that we use this as like language in, in magic and the reason it helps us so much is that as we'll discover, 
Basically, if there's not a reason that other people are going to have priority because phases are changing or, or something's on the stack, the active player always has priority. Yes, correct. So, yeah, if you're in a main phase, and I had this happen the other day, and I'm sure we're going to go into examples like this, mm. but, you know, if I'm in my my main phase and I cast something and then someone wants to remove it's a creature I cast a creature let's say it's reclamation sage mm-hmm. someone wants to destroy my reclamation sage actually no it's a bad example it hasn't entered the battlefield effect Let anything but reclamation sage <laughs> I cast my commander okay let's say I cast my commander and your commander doesn't have an enter the battlefield effect no, there was or no- let's just say you cast a two mana t- grizzly bears you cast grizzly bears okay I cast grizzly bears two mana two two that has no text on it yes so someone wanted to get rid of grizzly bears before I had the opportunity to do anything else with it so I cast grizzly bears and then they were like okay when grizzly bears enter the battlefield I'm gonna doom blade it and I had to tell them actually I once Grizzly Bears has resolved, everyone's past priority on the table. And the stack is empty. The stack is empty. I'm the active player. You can't put anything on the stack until mm-hmm. I make another game action because it, we're in the main phase and I have priority right now. Yeah. And so I had to say, actually, I get the opportunity to sacrifice this right now and you can't Doomblade it before I do that because you didn't have priority at any of those times. It's a tricky thing to understand and there's a lot of shortcutting that happens in Magic. So and much. We'll, you'll see why in a minute why there's so much shortcutting. But yeah. like, the reason why they're shortcutting is because if we declared every single thing, a turn would genuinely, especially in Commander, it would take such a long time to resolve because every player would need to verbally say, yep, pass priority. Yep, yeah. pass priority. Yep, pass priority. If, and that's just for one effect. If we're imagining the talking stick, it's kind of like I've got the talking stick and I'm like, I would like to say that I like bread. And then it's like, just checking that nobody else at the table has a problem with me saying I like bread. And then we pass the stick around. It's like, And it gets to James and then James goes, actually, I like sourdough bread. Okay. And then I have to pass the stick around before the term I like sourdough bread and I like bread result. (laughs) Everyone gets an opportunity to speak on sourdough bread. (laughs) And we would be doing that all the time. Constantly passing the beanbag around or the the, the talking talking stick. stick. So yeah. Was yours a beanbag in primary school? It was. And I found it hard to refrain from saying it. And I said it anyway. Fair enough. (laughs) Mine was like genuinely like a talking stick with feathers and beads and like cute cute gems on it. Probably made by all of you. Oh, yeah, 100%. Love that. All right, so now that we get what the priority is, who the active player is, and how kind of the stack resolves when players get priority, we should Mm -hmm. really look at the turn order. Because most of us understand the turn order at a basic level, Mm -hmm. beginning phase, pre-combat, combat, combat, post-combat, main, end. Yeah. But there's actually a lot more to it than that. And there's some intricacies within how these phases move that causes players to gain priority and things should happen in a particular order. Sometimes we shortcut these. Sometimes we can interact with these. And like the Space Commander said, leverage it to our advantage a little bit, Mm. which is cool. Really importantly, there are these phases do exist and they are things that we talk about because they exist. Mm -hmm. But there's also steps within each of those phases. Yes. what we're going to be going into because, yeah, just in the beginning phase, there are three separate steps. Yeah, which I think people are probably most familiar with how the beginning phase works because the phrase untap, upkeep, draw yeah. is such like a... Con- like that people have t-shirts with untap, upkeep, draw on them. Yeah, it's, it's more embedded in how we play Magic, I think. Yeah, so, all right, let's go through it starting at the beginning phase, mm-hmm. starting with untap. Now, this does not use the stack. This means that once the untap step is being processed, no one has priority, even the active player. Mm. The active player can't do anything in the untap step. What happens in the untap step? Obviously you untap all of your permanents, but also this is where the phased out permanents phase in 
if they're allowed to. Sure. If there's not one of those weird disciple of um, oh, Nims. Who, who knows? The thing I, that says permanence can't phase Yeah, in. that's right. Such a silver bullet card. It's so silly. <laughs> um, yes, very important that you can't respond to someone untapping because mm-hmm. it means you can't do something like blowing up a land or like... Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a few times I've been playing Magic where I've gone like... Oh, if I could just do something before I untap, and it's like, oh no, there's no. a reason I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So once you're untapping, that phase goes through, and then you get to the next step, which is upkeep. Mm-hmm. And that's when all the, at the beginning of your upkeep, so like Phyrexian Arena triggers, mm-hmm. all of those things go on the stack and resolve within this step, within this phase. Yes. Also, in the upkeep step, the active player does gain priority, which means the active player can put spells and abilities on the stack keep in mind this is still in your beginning phase Mm -hmm. not in a main phase so you have to do things at instant speed yes interestingly once that active player says right i'm going to pass priority and try and go to my draw step everybody else at the table gets an opportunity to put things on the stack there's really important intricacies here especially in 60 card formats where you Mm. might want to respond in someone's turn, but before they get to draw a card, because they might be, you know, if they're in a control deck, and they, they you might they might draw a counter spell off yeah. the top of their library, but you might want to respond in their upkeep for particular reasons that we'll probably go into later when mm-hmm. we're talking about exploiting it. But yeah, it's actually really important that we get an opportunity around the table to do stuff before yep. someone sees that card. So if you want to interact here, generally you can say in your upkeep or before yeah. you draw, yep. I'll do this because they're unless they're saying, you know. I'm doing something in my upkeep. Mm-hmm. You can do that before they draw. I'd like to make a really strange observation here. There is only beginning of upkeep triggers. Why do we need to say the beginning of your upkeep? It could just say at upkeep. Oh, uh, yeah. There's, there's no there's end, no of, upkeep end upkeep of upkeep or like triggers. at the beginning of your pre-combat upkeep. You know, like there's no... It's so weird. But they always say at the beginning of your upkeep. Anyway, I guess it's just a formatting thing. It's probably a it, formatting thing. But make I, it sound much more just, in line with at the beginning of combat and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's yeah. interesting, right? It sounds as though yeah. there could be like an at the, at the end of your upkeep. Well, look, <laughs> look, we're going to get a whole of a lot more magic product. We That's might true. get a, at the end of your upkeep. Oh, God. Who knows? I hope not. All right, so once we move through upkeep, we do go to the draw. Now, this is when at the beginning of draw step triggers the active player will draw their card and the active player will gain priority so this is where you know the player can again before moving to their main phase they can do something after they've drawn their card at instant speed before they actually go to their main phase now i will want to point out something here because it's reminder text that is incredibly misleading because i know what you're gonna say misled the hell out of me like a couple of weeks ago you asked the question in the judge call and i was like oh i know this already because i know how stupid it is let's shout out the uh the ultimate imposters in the draw step sagas you do not belong in the draw step you sound like you do the reminder text makes it sound like you live there yeah you You don't don't. you don't even (laughs) remotely close so sagas for those who don't know the reminder text a saga says um as this enters the battlefield and after your draw step add a a uh, chapter counter law counter counter to this saga after your draw step by the way after your draw step is not a time in your draw step it's just your pre-combat main phase and they didn't want to put all those words on the card i genuinely i I now see why they didn't want to do that because sagas have like a lot of text on them already Mm -hmm. and i think after your draw step is easy enough for a new player to understand but when you're in the nitty-gritty of it you're like 
that sounds dumb. It's yeah. at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase is what that should say as reminder text. Yes, but it says after your draw step. So this is also, by the way, why when you... Um, Urza's Saga is a really common saga we see in our, mm. um, our format. This is why when the third lore counter gets put on Urza's Saga, you can tap it and float a generic mana, mm -hmm. a colorless mana, sorry, specifically, and you can use that mana in your main phase is because you're in your main phase. Because normally, if mm. you move from one phase to another, your mana pool empties. So any mana that's in your pool is gone, you can't use it anymore. But you can use Urza's Saga because you're in your main phase. Yeah. It's and so silly. It, it reads like it shouldn't work like that, but it totally does. Yeah, you could also like activate an ability to like flick a, flicker a saga or something like that yeah. as the third law chapter is put on yeah there's plenty of ways to exploit sagas yeah um i think that the reminder text is just dumb it's, it's just, just so stupid. it's not what it should be but let's move into where sagas actually live which is the pre-combat main <laughs> phase and this is where sagas trigger but also mm -hmm. any trigger that says at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase there's not many of them but they do exist mm -hmm. and of course the active player gains priority now in a main phase there's a couple of things that that active players can do. Some of them are special actions. Some of them are just everyday magic casting a spell. Mm -hmm. So you can cast a spell, you can activate abilities, yep. and you can also play a land card from your hand mm. once per turn, unless you have an effect that says you can play multiple lands a turn. Yep. So this is, yeah, as we were saying, this is just where the turn lives naturally is, yep. the, is the main phase. If it's James's turn, James has the priority. He can do any of those things. And uh, yeah, if you cast a spell and activates an ability, I will get priority. But um, importantly, if you play a land, unless there's something with landfall or anything, mm. that one's just a special action. So it won't use the stack and it won't put anything on the stack. So I can't respond to it. No. So the pre-combat main phase, I did want to talk and kind of do a little bit of this is how you should leverage the entire turn of Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. After your pre-combat main phase, you will move to combat, which mm -hmm. we're going to go into completely separately because combat is so intricate in itself. And then you'll have another post-combat main phase. Now, in your post-combat main phase, you can play your land in your second main. That is something you can do. Mm -hmm. You can also do all the same stuff in, a pre -com in your pre-combat main phase, in your post-combat main phase anyway. Yep. So as a good Magic player, sometimes... You'll want to go to combat before you've done anything because then you're like giving players less information about what your board state will look like after the turn is done. Yeah. And they might make terrible decisions within combat, like blocking incorrectly or something based on information that you have in your hand that they don't know. Mm. And then you can do your post-combat main phase and kind of deploy a board state where people have made bad decisions within combat. Totally. I mean, if I have a 6-6 six, six flyer mm. and James is at like 8 life, if I just go to combat and I haven't cast any spells this turn and James has a removal spell in his hand, he's very likely to just remove that 6-6 six, six flyer, 100 right? 100 percent am. To keep himself alive. It makes sense as a as a decision to make in a magic game. But if I was to deploy like a game-ending spell that I have in my hand or a, a massive creature that is going to end the game immediately. Like like a Sakonrad. Let's say I've got a Sakonrad in my hand mm -hmm. and the ability to sacrifice my whole board and win that way. If I play that in my first main phase, now when I move to combat, James can choose between Sakonrad and the 6-6 six, six flyer and make the decision that makes the most sense for him. Mm -hmm. But if I just go to combat, James is probably just going to remove the 6-6 six, six flyer. Because in my brain, I'm like, well, that 6-6 six, six puts me at a very low life total and I need to get rid of that now. It's a threat to me right now. Yeah. Walt's moving to combat. I have priority now. 
I'm going to remove it. Then while it's like, all right, fair enough, we'll move through combat. Here's attackers, declare blocks, damage, all that kind of stuff. Then you go to your post-combat main phase. Then you go, right, cast a win condition. And yeah. then I'm like, shit, my terminate would have been really handy in my hand right now. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, basically like give, give your opponents less information by playing stuff. Well, we'll probably do our classic. We've talked about this a few times yeah. get commanded, but yes, play things as late as you possibly can. For sure. Much. All right, so then after combat, which we're going to go into separately because there's so many things that we can talk about there, mm -hmm. you have your post-combat main phase, which is exactly like your first one. You can do all that stuff. Yep. And then after that, you'll move to your end phase. Now, the end phase has two steps within it. There is the end step mm -hmm. and the cleanup step. Yes. So there's a couple of different things that happen here. So the end step does use the stack because that's where things that say at the beginning of end step triggers so anything that says at the beginning of your end step draw a card like mm, the monarch, monarch for yeah. example very common in our format mm. to see that this is where the active player also regains priority so this step does use the stack so mm -hmm. once you're in the end step every player gets an opportunity to do something in your end step this is where you'll commonly hear people like in your end step i'm gonna do this yeah it's a really really good time like if i had two mana open and a clue token that i can pay two mana yep. to sacrifice and draw a card but i also have a two mana response when james moves to his end step totally makes sense for me to be like oh okay well i wasn't gonna use this removal spell nothing really appealing to me right now i'm just gonna pay two mana sack that clue draw a card feels like a good move it does now after your end step you go to a step called the cleanup step now the cleanup step does not use the stack once you enter the cleanup step unless anything is put on the stack by a, another action you move straight through it and then you go to the start of the next player's turn mm -hmm. so what happens in the cleanup step there's a couple of things firstly the active player will discard down to hand size mm -hmm. and also damage will be removed from all permanents so the combat damage that's been marked on creatures after they blocked or after some ping triggers have gone around the table all of that's removed, everyone refreshes, they have a sandwich, they feel great. <laughs> now, this is also where this turn and until end of turn effects will end. Yeah. This is really interesting, the difference between the end step triggers of at the beginning of end step and this turn and until end of turn triggers. Mm, really if, important for, I think I can see where you're going yeah, with this. Yeah, it's a commander that I've been wanting to build. Yeah, <laughs> Obeka, uh, Brute Chronologist, I think it's yeah. called. Basically, you can tap Obeka and the player whose turn it is can end the turn. Yeah. Very importantly, because people get this wrong when they're building this deck, if you have a, uh, a, an ability that says at the beginning of the end step, like let's say a, a thief effect, you know, I gain, I gain control of mm -hmm. one of James' creatures, at the beginning of the end step, it returns to James' uh, battlefield. If I respond with Obeka and end the turn after I've taken the thing from mm -hmm. James, that end step trigger never happens because the turn's just over. Well, you move. It doesn't just it doesn't just end. You actually move directly to the cleanup step. Makes sense. So you skip the end step, move straight to the cleanup step. Yeah. And then that end step trigger doesn't even go on the stack because there wasn't an end step to begin with. Yeah. But if you have an act of treason effect, for example, that says mm. gain control of this until the end of your turn... That still happens. Because it's part of the cleanup step. Even if you are Becca and you say, right, I'm going to end the turn and just pass, you could, you still have to give that creature back to me because mm. it actually said when the turn ends, 
give the creature back, not yeah. at the beginning of end step. So basically the Obeka decks love things that say, do this. At the beginning of the end step, do this not so fun thing. Yeah. Those are amazing. Effects that say, do this until end of turn, and then trying to end the turn, it won't work with Obeka. But there's like really, really cool ones, like, you know, cards that say, draw three. There's like a one mana spell that says, draw three cards. At the beginning of the end step, discard three cards. Oh, in Obeka, that's just like literally Ancestral, Ancestral Recall, the banned card. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I've been meaning to build this deck for such a long time. You should. It's it would be very you. Grixis fun stuff. Yeah. I just think that's sick. Now, the other interesting thing that happens on the cleanup is, like I said, it doesn't use the stack. Mm -hmm. But if things are put on the stack because of situations happening or the actions that happen in end step, mm -hmm. you will actually revert. You will resolve all those triggers and then go back to the at like the end of the end step and attempt to move to clean up step again. Oh, right. So it kind of just like refreshes the clean up step if Correct. you have to. What, what's, yes. I think I can, I think where you know where your brain's I'm going. I'm smirking incredibly big right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a particular combo in one of your decks that yes. uses this to its advantage, right? Yeah. So the combo is Glint Horn Buccaneer. That's right. Which is a three mana, I think it's a two four with haste. Mm -hmm. It essentially says whenever you discard a card, it Glint Horn Buccaneer deals one damage to each player mm -hmm. or each opponent. Yes. Each opponent. Now, if you put Curiosity on Glinthorn <laughs> Buccaneer, one of James's all-time favorite cards, oh. whenever the, the uh, Curiosity is an enchantment aura that says whenever the enchanted creature deals damage to an opponent, draw a card. So the way this works is if you have enchanted Glinthorn Buccaneer with Curiosity, mm -hmm. what happens is at the beginning of your cleanup step, you will have to discard down to your hand size. So if you have more than seven cards in hand, you will discard a card. When you discard a card, mm. Glinthor Buccaneer triggers. Even though cleanup doesn't use the stack, the trigger still goes on the stack. Makes sense. So now Glinthor Buccaneer is going to deal one damage to each opponent. Mm -hmm. Ping, 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 ping. Now, Curiosity will now trigger because Glinthorn Buccaneer has dealt damage to three opponents. You draw will draw three. three cards. Then, once the stack is cleaned up, you will move back to the top of the cleanup step and cleanup will be like, hey, you've got more than seven cards in hand. Discard yep. down to hand size. And you win the game! Yeah, assuming you have, what, literally, like... Uh, you need to have... You need to have 40 cards in library if everyone's at full life total. Because it pings oh, one to yeah, every opponent. Oh, yeah, pings once for every... Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. But won't it... Oh, I'm probably getting it wrong. Yes, okay, yeah. I'll take your word for there, it. You there, are situations, the, the there are situations where you can deck yourself before you win, right. which is pretty challenging. Yeah. It's a very funny combo. It's an instant speed, instant... like, Or it's not instant speed, but it's an instant win combo if... In the right meta. I only play this in my CDH deck, mm -hmm. but it's a really good way of explaining how the cleanup step refreshes if triggers are put on the stack. Yep, I only was aware of that because I've played against your <laughs> visit Perun deck, so there you go. All right, well, now we understand the turn order. We'll dig into the stack a little bit more, and we can actually start to see where priority comes into play a bit more. Um, so, yeah, spells and abilities are put on the stack. But when does priority pass? This is the important bit for us to know. So when the active player gets priority, they can make any actions they are allowed to do so at the time. And importantly, put any number of spells and abilities on the stack they choose before they pass priority. Mm. So this is where that, that phrase that we hear of holding priority comes in. Mm. It's not something we see that often in Commander. But it can happen if someone's got something like a fork or like a... A fork, a dual caster mage? Yeah, some sort of copy 
ability, it tends to be the way that you want to do it because mm -hmm. you're going to cast the spell that you want to copy. And then before you pass priority around, because it once priority is passed all the way around, that spell's just going to resolve. Yes. Before you pass priority, you actually need to copy the spell. So you, that, that's when you flush in your dual caster mage or cast your reiterate, reverberate, whatever you're going to cast. Yep. You do it now, and then now you would pass priority. And the, the two things on the stack would be uh, the, the thing that wants to copy a spell and the original spell. And now your opponents get the chance to resolve. Respond. Correct. Interestingly, as well, frantic search, you also need to float the mana before you pass priority. You discovered this in a CDH tournament, I believe. <laughs> yep, and it definitely lost me that game. Oh, but like rough. with frantic search, uh, it's a three mana spell that says draw two, discard two, untap three lands. So mm -hmm. the tech here is if you have a soul ring, for example, you can tap one island and the soul ring and float two other mana from your two other lands mm -hmm. to draw two, discard two, and then untap three lands, which means you've netted two mana. Yeah. You've gone positive two mana. Yeah. It works really, really cool in that way. It's very clever. It can generate you colored mana as well, which if you're trying to cast a six colored mana commander <laughs> at like turn three. You might need that. Yeah. For sure. Um, so now once the active player is done, they'll pass to the left. Now that player to the left of the active player can put any abilities they want on the stack in the same way. They can hold priority and keep putting things on the stack mm -hmm. and so forth. Now, once all the players have passed priority, the stack will resolve. Now, priority will also pass when the active player moves through phases, which we've talked about, except in those moments where we illustrated that the kind of once you've entered this phase, it just happens and then you move to the next phase. For sure. So. The next thing that we naturally have to talk about here, I know this is a lot of information and then hopefully we'll get to the more like, let's exploit this kind of stuff. But I think we need to define this kind of stuff before we really dig into it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about AppNap. Have you heard about this? I am familiar with AppNap. This is active player, non-active player, right? Yes. So this is the order that we will put things on the stack. And I always get this wrong because mm -hmm. it sounds to me as though it's going to be like, okay, the active player stuff gets put on the stack at the top. It's not that... It's saying active player puts their stuff on the stack first. Correct. So actually the, the last player in turn order will have their abilities resolve first because they'll be put on first. So I think, so if it's your, you're here, you're next to me, mm -hmm. I'm the active player and there's players three and four on my left. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the last in this turn order. Yeah. If Walt is the active player. It's my turn and then there'll be player two, player three, and then James. So you'll yeah. play four in this instance. So if I cast a spell... And then you're like, everyone has a Rhystic study, for yeah. instance, right? The other three players have a Rhystic study. What will happen is the, the Rhystic study abilities will be put on the stack and it will go player two's ability, mm -hmm. then above that player three's ability, then above that your Rhystic study. And so the order it will resolve in will be James's Rhystic study trigger, player three, player two, and then me. Correct. Okay. Bravo. Thank you. I'm actually <sighs> very impressed because this is, AppNap is something that comes up a lot in CEDH when mm -hmm. a lot of triggers are being put on the stack at once, but there are situations in casual yep. where multiple triggers can go on the stack at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you need to realize that it always goes Active players' triggers are put on the stack first. Yeah. And then in turn order, you add the triggers. Player two, player three, and then player four. And then because it's a stack, you resolve it in reversed order. Yeah. So the active players' triggers will always resolve last. It also... This is the thing that flies in the in my face a little bit. It's like, you're talking about turn order? I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But actually, it, the way that this normally plays out is that things resolve in reverse turn, turn order. Yes. Yeah, basically, 100%. Because yep. the, the triggers are going back the other way. Imagine it like you're cranking something. And then when you let go of the crank, it re re like yeah, reverses. Like you're winding it up 
and then it re yeah. reverses. Now, there's another interesting thing that happens here when one player has multiple triggers going off at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's say whenever, like, let's say you cast a deploy to the front yeah. and you have a bunch of creatures enter your battlefield mm -hmm. and I have whenever a creature enters the battlefield gain a life and I also have whenever a creature enters the battlefield under opponent's control, that player loses a life. Sure. I can choose which order those triggers resolve. Mm -hmm. Every single trigger is put on the stack at the same time, but as the player that controls both triggers, I choose the ones that they resolve. This is the really important one, mm. right? Because I see some people being like, yeah, I can just choose whichever order, and it's like, only if you control all the triggers. Correct. Everything else is determined in, determined in app nap, which yeah. is active players' triggers go on first, Turn order, resolve in reverse order. So it's only when you start talking about triggers that one player controls all of that you can start to actually control mm. the order of things. That makes sense. Now, I'm impre incredibly impressed if you're following along with this because this <laughs> is high-level magic stuff. I double-checked this with um, our good friend Ellie as well to double-check this as from a judge's perspective. Right. So far, we're doing really well. Nice. <laughs> um, now, I do also want to highlight some things that don't use the stack because you mentioned that like playing a land, for mm. example, is a special action. Yes. Special actions are actually more common than we think. They're, they're quite widespread across magic now. There's actually in the rules document a list of 10 special actions. Interesting. One of which confused the hell out of me. There is a card, a single card that has a whole rule about it because it's, you can discard this card at any time. It's not a cycle ability. Oh, the it's creature? circling vultures, yes. I think. It's pauper legal and some people have been like, you should play it. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because you can do stupid crap with it. Because it's a I'm special action. It it's literally, just, I think it's called circling vultures. I think you're right. Anyway, so while Walt looks up that card, I'll run you guys through what the rest of the special actions are. So playing a land is a special action. This means that when you play a land, it doesn't use the stack. You do not pass priority when you play a land. Though it can cause a landfall trigger when the land enters the battlefield and that does use the stack. So you will have to pass priority to other players before that landfall trigger resolves. Other things that don't use the stack include mana abilities. So tapping a land for mana, tapping an artifact for mana or tapping a creature for mana does not use the stack. Really annoyingly, turning face down creatures face up, so activating morphs, is a special action. Um, this can obviously put a trigger on the stack, but the act of actually turning it face up is a special action. You can do that whenever you have priority. Yep. Nobody can respond to you doing that. They can respond to like- there's The a lot ability of, on yeah, the stack, yeah. A lot, a lot of morphs say when this turns face up, do this, but so they that will go on the stack, but you can't be like, I'm going to attempt to flip this morph and I can't be like, okay, I'm going to bolt it in response. It's like, no, no, I'm flipping the it's morph. It's already That's flipped. already flipped. It's yeah. already up. Um, I have circling vultures. I would like to sure. read the actual rules text on the, the oracle text. That's fair, because this, this card has its own rule in the comprehensive <laughs> rules document. Uh, it's so much worse, and I'll tell you why in a sec. But <laughs> circling vultures, for a black, you get a creature bird. It's a 3-2 with flying that says... For a may, single black. For a single black, because it says, you may yeah. discard circling vultures anytime you could cast an instant. I suspect that's the special action mm -hmm. it's talking about. Yep. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice circling vultures unless you exile the top creature card of your graveyard. Not only does this oh have its own rules thing about it, it uses the worst mechanic in all of magic, which is caring about the order of the graveyard, which means if you're playing a game with this in your, your deck, you have to keep your graveyard in the same order. You can't like order it be like nope. if you're in a creature based deck you like separate all your creatures so you can know what you can reanimate no nope. no nope. can't do it can't do it actually important that you exile the top creature <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, awful. That's actually disgusting. I think I'm not going to play that card in a pauper deck out of the principle. <laughs> it just is so confusing. It is so confusing. Uh, so also morphs, obviously, don't use the stack. Mm -hmm. Now, there are actual activated abilities, kind of, like, um, that you can do from your hand. They seem like they're activated abilities and would use the stack, mm -hmm. but they're actually highlighted in the rules document that they're special actions. Right. So these ones include suspend... Okay. Companion uh, and Fortell. So, I was familiar with Companion. I didn't mm. realize Suspend and Fortell were also special actions. So this is, yeah. importantly, like, if this was an activated ability and I had a card like Stifle, this is the spell that um, counters an activated ability on mm. the stack, or an activated or triggered ability on the stack, um, I can't counter you attempting to foretell a card. Or suspending a card. I example. can't do that because yeah. it's not an activated ability, it's a special action. Correct. Okay, that's cool. And I think it's in place so things doesn't don't get really confusing. Because could you imagine if you were trying to foretell a card as an activated ability and then you stifled it? Where does that card go? Does it go back to hand? Does Ooh. it go to graveyard? Yeah, I'm glad Does it go that... to graveyard face down or face up? <laughs> but, uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. Exactly. Now... There are also things that happen before things that go on the stack. Now, mm -hmm. this is weird, but incredibly important. Yeah. There are some things that you have to do and have to make sure can happen before abilities go on the stack. The biggest one is the player wishing to put something on the stack has to pay all associated costs with the spell. So, for example, if you have to sacrifice a creature as an additional cost... That will happen before the spell is put on the stack. Mm. And that will put a triggered ability, if there is one, on the stack before the spell. So, for example, if you have a, you know, uh, vampiric, uh, sorry, village rights, mm -hmm. and you have to sacrifice a creature as an additional cost to cast the spell. Yep. If you have a trigger that says whenever a creature dies under your control... Each opponent loses a life. Yeah. Zulaport Cutthroat, for instance. That will happen before the village rights goes on the stack. Yeah, so the, the, the stack then would look like village rights saying draw two cards, and above that would be Zulaport Cutthroat saying each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. Because the creature died before the spell was put on the stack, so it kind of remembers the order things happened in. It's whack. It is super weird. Weird. Um, also, really importantly, this is where you get that strange interaction between treasures and affinity. Oh, yeah. This this is, this busts my mind every yeah. time I think about it. So a spell like Thoughtcast, for four and a blue, it's a sorcery that says draw two cards. If you heard a honk, it's just a truck outside. <laughs> it wasn't one of us farting. No, uh, it was not. He's <laughs> decided to park there. Um... You can, and you have four uh, artifacts, including a treasure token. That treasure token counts for your affinity, and you can also sacrifice it for the blue to pay the cost. Anyway, it's very, very weird. It's a very narrow interaction, but it is a thing that can happen. It's very confusing. There is also something else that has to happen with spells or abilities that have a targeted effect. You have to choose the targets before the card or the ability enters the stack. So important and very irritating when people do this wrong. I have a few times gone to cast a spell that like destroys a few different targets, for instance. Like mm -hmm. a spell like Casualties of War. My favorite big mana <laughs> removal spell. Love so that good. card. So let's choose one or more. You destroy like an artifact enchantment, creature, planeswalker, land, I believe. Every yep. permanent type, you choose one of those, not battle. Random. Um... What anyway. do you mean random? It was printed years ago. Oh, it's so silly. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, if, for that to be put on the stack, you have to choose all the targets for it. But what will happen sometimes, and I've noticed this with new players especially, mm. if James is casting Casualties of War, and I have a heroic intervention in my hand... And James, let's say Walt controls the biggest threat at the table, and yeah. like, once I reveal that I've got a Casualties of War, Walt's like, oh my god... 
definitely James is going to remove my thing. I yeah. should respond now. Yeah. So what will happen a lot in Commander games, especially, is when I see that you're going to probably going to remove my thing, you're like, I'm going to cast Casualties of War. And I go, I'm going to cast Heroic Intervention. But you haven't declared targets yet. Yeah. So all that happens here, you, I can't cast Heroic Intervention yet because the spell hasn't had legal targets declared. Well, it's not even on the stack yet, so priority no. hasn't passed. Priority hasn't even passed yet. So all that happens now is we have to walk back to James choosing his targets, and now he knows I have my Heroic Intervention in his hand, so James can just choose to not target my stuff. Yep. So very, very important. If you have the ability to, to make something hexproof or give it indestructible or protection or something like that, wait for the targets to be declared because you legally have to yep. and then respond because that way I'm going to make someone get the least out of their spell you know that casualties of war is going to do a lot less now yeah 100% and now in terms of like if you were in a competition setting which doesn't exist for commander but a judge would rule it in the player that's casting that casualties of war's favor because mm. you would be like oh I'm going to cast heroic intervention or like blacksmith skill and give this specific creature hexproof mm -hmm. If you did that before targets were declared, that's almost... If a judge came over, what you would have essentially done is just said to the player, before you choose targets, I have a protection spell in hand. Choose any ones but this specific real threat <laughs> and you can resolve that spell. Yeah. You'd never do that, but that's what a judge would say effectively would have happened. You yeah. would have just revealed that you've got protection before the spell resolves. Wait for targets to be declared. Even if you desperately want to cast that spell and you're going to do it anyway, you actually have to wait for targets to be declared and you're going to be revealing a lot less about what you have in your hand as well. I think that's actually a really good way to leverage it too, because you can be, you could politic here and you could be like, hmm, as you're choosing targets, yeah. just, just think... I can do this. <laughs> like, yeah. I could do this. Politics can happen at yep. any time. So yep. as they're choosing targets, you can talk because talking is part of playing magic. It's basically a special action and it doesn't <laughs> use the stack at all. <laughs> wow, we broke the game. Love it. 100%. Okay, right. We have just gone through everything from mm -hmm. top to bottom. Yes. I think it's time for a thrifty interlude. But Sounds after good. that, we are going to go into combat mm. and we're going to really think about how we can leverage priority and the stack. Sounds good. So let's go into a thrifty interlude. A so thrifty interlude. you can hear a little something about a thrifty card. And as is tradition, I will be performing a monologue. Just kidding. It's a dialogue. Ooh. James will be helping me this week to uh, perform. Have to put on my best act at all. So <laughs> this week the card is brought to life uh, and it will be a dialogue. So it'll be from the perspective of someone in the card and someone else will be there. Mm. Uh, would you like to read the card we'll be featuring this week, James? I sure would. I th this is a pretty good pick for this episode because this causes lots of triggered abilities and they can go on the stack all at once. It's Suture Priest. For one and a white, you'll get a creature that's a Phyrexian Cleric, 1-1, one, one, that says whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may gain one life. And whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's uh, control, you may have that player lose one life. when I got him like a fish. Wow, thanks Chantel. That's very graphic. Now, given that this is a medical conference, I was thinking you could outline some of the new surgical techniques that you've learned, the ones that help people. This is a medical conference. Oh yes, I've helped many along the path to completion. So many witless bags of flesh, enlightenment, and true purpose they have now. 
Yes, Chantel, people who are cured from their illness are more complete and can be enlightened in some fringe cases. Now, what can you tell us about the patients you'll be seeing in the near future? Cocks in the machine. Yeah, many new advancements in replacement limbs, that is true. Ventricles of the heart, of course, being the next big area of improvement, it seems. This infestation is nearing its end. Well, that's contentious. I mean, vaccination rates are pretty good, but still lots can... True purpose comes from purity of the mind. Ah, the brain, of course, yes. The next frontier of modern medicine. Frontier. All the world's a frontier. And we will win the battle. Well, inspiring words there from our new Chief Executive Officer, Chantel Master Splicer. Any final words, Chantel? Join with me now. Join us, and together we will achieve true unity. United, we are unstoppable. A small donation today could save the lives of the lost and hopeless of your world. Commit to our shared purpose. It is all we have. Now, that's a bit much, I think, Chantel. Just get a hold of yourself. Uh, I honestly, it was a good trip down to that medical conference. Didn't see you there. Um, that who Chantel is a scary, scary woman. I look. It's clear that they've improved on a lot of things about Chantel's body, but not her vocal cords. Uh, she needs those back. Put them back in. Yeah, Elishnorn. Next time you try and overtake the multiverse. Focus on the vocal cords of your Phyrexians. Especially Chantel. She's got some really important things to say. Been there, been through a lot, actually. <laughs> um, you can see these in text form every Thursday on the Greensboro Commander Community Discord server in the Thrifty Thursdays channel. All that's linked in the show notes. And you can see us bring some of those to life as videos over on TikTok at Get Commanded. So check us out on there. Chuck us out. Don't chuck, chuck us, us out. out. Check us out yeah. on there. Keep us in a like a binder, well protected. Um, <laughs> Alright, let's jump straight back into let's it. Let's do it. Now that we understand how all of this priority phasing passing, stack going, priority giving, app nap stuff. Banana pancakes. Banana pancakes. Yes. We are going to look at how we can leverage it. Now, I want to firstly go back to the phases in a turn because mm-hmm. we kind of glossed over combat. And we said we'd come back to it. So let's come back to it. Sure. Because combat, I genuinely think, is if if you're trying to take advantage of when priority is passed and as a defending player, when you have priority, this is where you can really leverage it. Because combat is not as simple as swing, block, damage, done. There is so much more to it. Oh, 100%. I also think people need to understand the t- moments that are good openings and so i hope we're now in this phase Mm. of talking about exploiting stuff because there are things you can do in certain combat steps that you should do then you could do them later but in my opinion you should do them then or you could do them earlier and you should do them later it's true so all right let's jump into it because Mm -hmm. when you go to combat there are actually five steps within combat or five phases within combat itself. Mm -hmm. And the first of which is the beginning of combat step. So when you're at the beginning of combat, all at the beginning of combat triggers go on the stack. Yes. So as a defending player, if your opponent has a trigger that's on board, you can see it that says at the beginning of combat, do this or creatures you control get plus one plus one or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. If you have a removal step, 
Or remo removal step. If you have a <laughs> removal spell, you need to use it before this step. Yes, if you want to remove the thing that has the beginning of combat trigger, then you have to do it before now, because once we move to this step, the trigger's on the stack. You can't yep. do anything about it. So, yeah, importantly, when you move into combat, we often use the phrase, move to combat, right? That's yep. often something we say in Maddie. We say, I'm going to move to combat. What you're actually saying is... I'd like to move to combat, and mm -hmm. then priority passes, and everyone gets to let you. Yes. Or not let you. So importantly, if you're in your main phase, like we were saying before, you can't respond unless someone puts things on the stack. If I say now, I'm moving to combat, actually everyone gets priority because we're changing phase now. Exactly right. So yeah, it's a really good opportunity to remove something. Also importantly, because I've seen this come up before in a Game Nights episode, if say I have a beginning of combat thing, and then James removes it, as I, move, as I say I'm going to move to combat, I don't get that trigger on the stack, but importantly, we go back to the active player and we're actually still in the main phase. Yes. So if I have a sorcery, I can actually cast it now. Even though I said move to combat, because we didn't move to combat, because James responded, it resets back to me. And now I can either go, okay, I'd like to move to combat again, or I can actually cast more things, play a land, yep. do a sorcery. You can restructure your entire combat if you want at sorcery speed. Still in the in the main phase. But we are in combat. So let's, yes. we're in combat. Beginning of combat triggers will happen. So yep. you have to remove stuff before then. Also, really importantly, if you want to tap something... Like so tap someone, it down so it can't swing. It has to happen either at the beginning of combat or in that, yeah, moving from the main phase sometime then. You have to do it now. Because once we're in declare attackers, which is the next step... Mm -hmm. It's too late, basically. Yes. Well, the thing about tapping things down it in the beginning of combat step, if you tap it down in the main phase, someone could sorcery speed untap it or do something else. That's so true. it's actually best to do it when they're in the beginning of combat step before they move to the declare attacker's step. Because they'll have fewer options. They can only do yeah. instant speed stuff then. Yeah, that's so true. let's move into the declare attacker's step. Mm -hmm. Now, this actually is a part of the combat phase that does not use the stack yeah this is when the active player the attacking player mm -hmm. will declare their attackers now this does not use the stack and i want to kind of highlight the fact that this doesn't use the stack because you have to as the attacking player the active player declare all of your attacks at once once that is done, then things can go on the stack. Like mm. whenever this attack triggers go on the stack and priority can pass. The thing I've seen happen at, like in local game stores before is someone will have like five creatures that can attack this turn and yep. they'll go, right, these two creatures are attacking you. These two creatures can attack this. And before they've finished declaring their attacks, a defending player will go, oh, well, I'm going to Swords to Plowshares this in mm. response to you attacking. You can't actually respond to a declared attack. No, they all have to be declared at the same time. Correct. Exactly the same time. And also, like, really importantly here, you can actually shuffle things around as the attacking player. You can tap and untap creatures, and you'll see if you ever play on MTGO, Magic the Gathering mm -hmm. Online, you'll see people do this. They'll tap creatures and then kind of untap them and stuff. It's that kind of kind aspect of magic where... Let them say what they want to do. Yeah. Finish what they want to do. Then you get the chance. So basically what will normally happen ideally here is you'll start tapping creatures, maybe untap them, order them, move them around. And what should really happen is then that attacking player should go, okay, these are my attacks. This is where the creatures are attacking. So in a commander, obviously there's multiple players. It's really important yep. to say that. But also planeswalkers, you'd have to say now, um, this is going to come at your planeswalker. Or your battle. Or your battle. <laughs> That's true. And then... 
everyone gets priority, right? Yep. The attacks have all been declared, but importantly, yeah, as you say, all of them have been declared. I can't go like, I'm going to send my rampaging Baloths at you, James, and then, yeah, as you say, you can't source to flashes. That's like, no, 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 I have to choose all my attacks, then you get priority. Because what you could do is, again, in a comp tournament, the way a judge would rule that would be, well, congrats, you just revealed that you have a Swords to Plow shares in your hand, yeah. and Walt can now go, well, I'm not going to swing it that way, yeah. I'll redeclare it this way. Yeah. yeah, Works out better for me. It's really crucial. The other thing, obviously, that happens in the declare attack step is when, whenever this attacks happens, triggers, all of those mm -hmm. get put on the stack. Um, the other really crucial bit here is if you think you, or if you have removal, and you think it might get countered, what you should do is try and cast that removal spell now so you can still declare blocks if it does get counted. Yeah, I see people do make this mistake a bit where they sort of go like, someone, you know, you declare your attacks, James. So I'm, I'm swinging like, a 10-10 at you, Walt. Yeah, and I'm like, I've got my removal spell. I'm like, no blocks. And then... You, I go like, okay, before damage, I'm going to remove your 10-10, and then you have a counter spell. Yep. It's like, cool, I'm dead. Like, yep. I take 10 damage and lose the game. So, yeah. But you could have chumped with that one one you yes, had. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. So, if I had gone for that removal spell now before blocks, then, yeah, when we go to the blocking step, it's like, okay, cool, that didn't work, but now I have other options available to yeah. me. Yeah, there is also, like, things, if you're just aware that your thing might get countered, for example, like a fog, it's great to do that now before blocks, but also it might be a great idea to do it after blocks if you don't think they have that counter spell for other yeah. reasons. Yes, that's true. It's yeah. the, the opposite is true usually, which is yeah. play it later. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll move to the declare block step. Sure. Now this is again where the defending player or players in commander will declare all of their blocks at once. And again, just like attackers, this does not use the stack. All players, all defending players must declare all their blocks at once before you can start resolving damage or do anything else. Mm -hmm. So once the blocks are declared, there's some other things that happen, including the attacking player assigns the order in which damage will be dealt. Now, when I say order, it's relevant if there... This is only really relevant if... Um, there are multiple creatures blocking one creature. Mm. The attacking player goes, right, well, this will be the order that they'll be dealt damage in. Yeah. You're not assigning damage yet. You're just declaring what order they will go in. Sure. So if there's a 3-3 three, three and a 2-2 two, two blocking and I've got a 4-4 four, four attacking, then you might just go, okay, the 2-2 two, is going to block first. Yes. And that's all that's been declared. We haven't sent damage or anything. You just said the 2-2 two, is blocking first and behind that is the 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. So that way when we do go to damage, that's I'm assuming... That's the order that will yeah. happen. Yeah. Now, this Importantly, it goes back and forth, right? Because like yeah. the attacking player chooses the damage, but the defending player chooses the blocks. So Correct. that's kind of a give and take there. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So now the this also neither of those two things use the stack, but mm -hmm. in declare block step is obviously also where whenever something blocks will trigger. So if you have a creature that says whenever this creature blocks, do bleh, that's when it happens. Mm -hmm. This is also a really key point to fog now, because once you pass from declare blocks to combat damage, combat damage will be dealt. Yes. Combat damage does now, now, it used to years and years and years ago, <laughs> does not use the stack. Yes. So once you pass from the declare blocks phase, you are saying that you're okay for damage to be dealt. Yep. So the, t the your window of opportunity here is after you've blocked, but before damage, which is why you'd normally... The, again, the phrase we normally use is, before damage, mm -hmm. I'm going to cast this fog. Correct. You don't say, like, as we move to damage. No, you can't do that. Once yep. damage is happening, it's happening. It's happening. So speaking of which, combat damage, mm -hmm. that's the next step in combat. Sure. This is where pretty much... Everything happens without the stack unless there are triggers that say whenever this deals combat damage, 
goes on the stack. Sure. Everything here just happens bleh, and, yeah. and to, unless there's something put on the stack. So, mm. for example, the attacking player will assign combat damage. So yeah. this is if you have... The classic example is if you have a creature that's a 5-5 that has Death Touch and Trample and is being blocked by a 5-5, you can assign one combat damage to that creature because it is technically lethal Mm -hmm. and the rest can trample over. This is the only exception to the rule though. Typically you have to assign lethal... Well, no. In in this case as well, you always have to assign lethal combat damage to a blocker before you can move to the next blocker to deal the damage there or to trample over the top. Correct. Including for like indestructible blockers. Even though they won't be die from lethal damage usually, you still have to assign it before you can move to the the, the damage you assign elsewhere. Yeah, so if you have a 1-1 indestructible block, you assign one... uh, You you assign one damage to it because that would be lethal to that 1-1. If it was a 2-2 indestructible, you would have to assign two damage to that creature before you can trample over. And this is the reason why Death Touch gets around this because Death Touch knows that one damage is enough for lethal damage. Yep. So that's why it works that way. It constitutes the lethal. Now, yep. after combat damage is dealt and after you resolve whenever this deals combat damage triggers, mm-hmm. so a sort of feast and famine, that triggers, goes on the stack, the player discards and you t- untap all your lands. Mm-hmm. Once that trigger is resolved, you actually move to a final step of combat called end of combat mm-hmm. oh also sorry first strike damage is probably something that we should very briefly touch totally on. relevant just to say that there are two st- stages to that damage step yep. always there's always a first strike damage section and then a damage section even if there is no creature with first strike yes it still technically happens and you can respond between like after first strike damage before regular damage as well if something's got double strike that's true that does actually pass priority around the table the only exception otherwise yep. the damage just happens but yes that happens and then we go yeah to end of combat step good shout that was something (laughs) I wasn't thinking of but in terms of priority passing yeah there might be some really fringe cases where responding after first strike damage is dealt might be relevant you might want to yeah it's very hard to imagine but I'm sure there would be a time possibly Um, okay so now we're in the end of combat step Mm -hmm. this is a bit of a weird step because everything is still technically an attacking or defending creature a blocking Mm -hmm. creature yeah so what happens in end of combat anything that says at the end of combat this triggers those go on the stack Mm -hmm. the active player regains priority and this is really crucial that the fact that priority is passed in this moment because the active player can do some really interesting tricky shenanigans in this step because like i said attacking creatures are still declared as attacking Mm -hmm. and blocked creatures are still declared as blocking yeah so you could have if you have a spell that says you know destroy target creature that's blocking if you you know had that in your hand you could kill something that's still blocking yeah even if your attacker died to it yeah and the combat damage has already happened yes it's still technically because you're in combat things remember that they were attacking yeah were blocking yeah and because they still technically are we've not done that yet so you can do really weird things like you can activate ninjutsu here after combat damage has been dealt. Yeah. And there are actually reasons why you might want to do this. Totally. You might want... If you're in a like a ninja deck, you might want to put a really high value ninja that says whenever this deals damage to something, do this back in your hand mm. so you can ninjutsu it 
next turn yeah. on your ginger brute that's unblockable, whatever. Totally. It's a really tricky thing to do. You can also activate abilities in this moment. So the enchantment reconnaissance is like any weird card, but it has an ability on it that says pay zero mana. Mm -hmm. And untap a creature and remove it from combat. Yes. So the the ridiculous thing here is that it shouldn't work like this. It's supposed to be that basically the card design, it was around a time in magic when it was like around combat tricks, right? Yeah. Like I'm attacking you, you block my creature. It's like, mm. okay, well, my tricksy tr play is to untap it and remove it from combat instead. Yeah. The ridiculous thing though is because of the end of combat step, this reconnaissance just gives your creatures vigilance because you can just attack with all of them and then do whatever you, you you feel you need to in terms of blocks, whatever you feel like. You can still use the ability before then if you want. Yep. But then in the end of combat step, you just activate reconnaissance on all your creatures, untap them and remove them from combat. Cool. They have vigilance. They're just all untapped now. It, the card should basically say creatures you control have vigilance. It's a lot easier yeah. to understand. Yep. Um, but it's also really good because you can use it as protection and all that kind of stuff. Totally. It's an incredible card. You should definitely look it up. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, the other thing that happens at the end of combat step, once you move from that phase back into the post-combat main phase, mm -hmm. is they stop becoming attacking and blocked creatures. Yes. So once you're in that main phase, they've stopped that. Sure. Yeah. And then interestingly, obviously, at the end step, like we said before, all the damage that was dealt to them, that's removed and they have that Vegemite sandwich and feel better. <laughs> so that's combat. Now we understand everything. We've leveraged combat a bit. I would like to propose the get commanded tips and tricks of how you can best use priority and the stack to get a competitive advantage. For sure. I mean, now that we've covered every part of the turn, hopefully you'll yeah. follow us as we talk about the parts of the turn that you can manipulate. Yeah. For sure. Well, you've actually said one already. Do you want to talk? Because you actually said we've re recommended this before of doing something as late as you possibly can. Yeah. I think that's probably our first tip, right? When it's referencing priority. Maybe the the most important one honestly mm. like it, it we've, we talked about it a couple of times in terms of just not revealing things to your opponents that you don't need to yet yeah so yeah like you know casting things post combat is a really really good example of that waiting for targets to be declared is yeah. illegal and also just should be done as late as you possibly can as well Correct. like when you're responding to that um, but also, yeah, like waiting till someone's end step, cause you do get priority in that mm -hmm. before you t move to your turn and untap and upkeep and draw and all that fun stuff. Wait until that end step is so much, reveals so much less about the turn you're about to have, especially if you're going to do like this. We have a bunch of those tutors in our format. Like Vampiric Tutor, Vampiric for Tutor, Enlightened Tutor, uh, Worldly Tutor. All of these are one mana instants that, um, search your library for a card and put it on top of your library. So activating that in someone's end step before you move to your draw step means you just choose the best card you could possibly draw yep. in your next turn. Unbelievably powerful. But the sooner you do that in the turn cycle, the longer people have to go like, wow, Walt's a huge problem here. We need to prepare for the turn Walt's about to have. Yeah. So instead of doing what I was planning on doing, I'll do this instead. Who knows? I might be searching for a board wipe with Vampiric Tutor. And mm. people might know that. Once I cast Vampiric Tutor, people usually start speculating, right? Everyone yeah. does it. Because someone casts a Monitor Tutor and you're like, oh, what are you searching for here? If the board is gummed up full of creatures and I don't have any of them, and I cast a Vampiric Tutor on someone's end step, it is safe to assume I'm finding a board wipe. 100% you are. The other thing that about doing stuff as late as you possibly can, like in this end step 
section Mm -hmm. is you are the least likely to be interacted with in that moment because every other player has used most of their resources on their turn. So it's very unlikely that someone's going to be able to interact with the stuff you're doing at instant speed on the end step before your turn. It's also, if someone's playing a deck that likes to leave up a lot of mana, you can also kind of actually move a little bit. This is like almost the opposite of waiting till the end step. Mm. You can interact with someone's board on their upkeep Mm. because you force them to use their mana on their turn rather than on yours. So in this example, let's say James has five mana open. He has all of it untapped. It's my turn. I know he's going to have a counter spell or something yeah. for my instant speed response to getting rid of something on his board. Rather than do it now, where James taps for his counter spell, moves to his turn, untaps, has five mana again, I can wait till James's upkeep. He hasn't drawn any more cards. He's got the same amount of mana. But now if he counter spells me, he's forced to use two mana. He can't keep use that for this current turn. He yep. can't leave it up on my next turn either. Yep. It just forces you to make some tougher decisions. This is also the prime opportunity to cast the spell silence mm. um, is in someone's upkeep because silence says you players can't cast any more spells this turn um, silence is like the perfect spell to cast in upkeep because if you do it in upkeep they have to respond to instant speed before they've drawn a card, yeah. before they have more information. They've untapped, they've got all their mana, but they can't do anything with it if they don't do it right now in response to that silence. Yeah, it's a really, really tough decision you have to make in an instant yeah. speed sort of way. I think sure. this is really common in like 1v1 formats because yeah. people like really want to reduce their opponent's resources because it's a lot more resource management in mm. 1v1 than Commander. Yeah. Um, what are some other things that we can think of that can be advised based on priority in the stack? I think that you can actually let something resolve and then respond something deeper down in the stack is a really cool thing to note because we talked about the stack and how mm-hmm. we, once everyone's passed priority on the stack, it resolves. Yeah. We didn't actually say that it resolves one thing at the top and then priority repasses around the table. Yep. So you can do something in response to that. And there's some really strong reasons why you would want to respond or let something resolve and then respond later. Totally. A really key thing, for example, is Pact of Negation. Yeah. Pact of Negation, if you don't know, is a zero zero mana counter spell that says at the beginning of your next upkeep, you pay five mana, three blue, blue, or you lose the game. Yeah. So there's some really good reasons why if you're in a counterspell war, for example, and you cast a Pact of Negation and someone negates your Pact of Negation and you have another counterspell in your hand, you can go, okay, that negate resolves. Pact yeah. of Negation is countered. I don't have to pay five on my upkeep anymore. Correct. And now I'm going to counterspell what I originally wanted to do. Yeah. And if you're the other player in that scenario, by the way, like if I'm the player who's casting Negate on your Pact of Negation... I can just wait for your pact negation to resolve rather than counterspell that yep. and negate the thing I actually want to counter instead. And now what happens? Same end result. I've still cast the same counterspell, still tried to counter the same thing, but now James has to pay five on his upkeep. Yeah, this is... Uh, we t- I spoke about this in an episode ages ago. I think it might have been in one of our Q&As about what counterspells should you cast first and yeah. what should you cast last. I think it was the original ca- uh, Q&A, not the ones that just came out, like yeah. episode 15, 16 or whatever that was. A while ago now but like I think my opinion on on Pact of Negation has changed a little bit sometimes if I think I'm going to end up in a counterspell war I'll Pact of Negation first Mm. so I can have that be a target for another counterspell and get that out of their hand before I deploy my Fluster Storms my Deflecting Swats or whatever for sure 
Um, the other thing that I think we could highlight as a tip to utilize priority and um, utilizing how the stack works is you can actually respond when it's best for you. And I'm going to nickname this hitching a ride a little bit. Okay. My example here that I'm thinking of is, for example, if you have... Let's say you, Walt, have a Sir Conrad on the table mm -hmm. and you have a trigger on the stack that says you're, you're about to mill 15 cards. Yeah. Let's say all my opponents are on, you know, 12, maybe 20 life. So it mm -hmm. might kill one and it might bring another one down to two life. Sure. I'm on 40 life. That might hurt me quite a lot if you mill a lot of creatures with Sir Conrad. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be better off letting that resolve and hurting my opponents and then afterwards dealing with Sir Conrad. Yeah. It's like hitching a ride on your opponent's win con. And then mm. once your opponent's activated it, killed a player or reduced two players to very, very low, you can go, right, as you move to combat, when I have priority, mm. I'll get rid of Sir Conrad. Now your win condition is gone. But thanks, buddy. You helped me out with those two bozos yeah. on the other side of the table. Sir so Conrad's a really good example of a win condition that gives you lots of opportunities to respond. In yes. this particular case. It's a bit of a delicate one. Because it's so Conrad is a whenever you know a million different things happen. <laughs> um, so Conrad deals the damage to each of your opponents. Every single instance of that will trigger Sir Conrad separately. So even in that instance you just described where I'm milling 15 cards, yep. if I did mill 15 creatures and you were at 20 life, every single creature that I mill is a new trigger to Sir Conrad that, that can be responded with and responded above yeah. every single time that happens. So yeah, you might let five of them resolve and then go, okay, I'll broom Sir Conrad now before I get the opportunity to mill anything more. Yep. The other 10 will still happen, like, because they're all on the stack at that point. Yep. But yeah, there's a lot... It, maybe that's not such a good example. Maybe it's better if, if someone's sacrificing a lot of stuff to Sir Conrad. Yes, that's a great thing. If you can see that they've got a full board of tokens mm. and a sacrifice outlet, you can go, okay, after you sacrifice... The first one, I'll remove Sir Conrad, but the Sir Conrad player can be like, right, well, in response to that, I'm going to sacrifice all my other ones. Yeah. So all of those triggers are put on the stack as well. Yeah. It's a bit it's, of a fine line to walk. It's tricky, but like knowing wh when you have the opportunity to hop in is really important. And yeah. I, I guess in that case as well, knowing how many opportunities your opponents have to respond on top of that as well. Correct. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. I would actually, as a tip on not how to leverage this, as a tip on how to handle it, mm -hmm. if you have just blank magic cards or like tokens or even just magic cards turned upside down, you can actually represent the stack on your playmat and include triggers as up upside down magic cards or tokens yeah. to really highlight what's on the stack. And I do this a lot. Um, With the to, Infinite tokens, right? Yeah, yeah, and I can I will even write on the Infinite token like Sir Conrad trigger or Suture Priest trigger, for yeah. example. I can be like, right, these are the triggers on the stack currently. Now, once everyone said, right, I'm happy to let this resolve, we can go down the stack and start resolving things. I think it really helps to physically lay it out in a way, or at least to talk it through. Like if you can't physically do the cards, like maybe you're playing over a spell table or something, just talk it all out with the table before you start resolving stuff. Mm. Be like, okay, let's be really clear about what the stack actually looks like because yeah you don't want to get halfway through washing those dishes and then realize you should have started uh 10 dishes down because that was one that or one been of those dishes wasn't a dish it was actually a yeah. like a like a placemat and you <laughs> accidentally put that in yeah um there you go yeah yeah i think that in terms of more tips i think that the thing that i thought of was really really strong was when you have multiple triggers being put on the stack at the mm -hmm. same time and you control them Choose what is best for you. So, yeah. like, for example, if you have a whenever a creature enters the battlefield, scry one effect, and you also have whenever a creature enters the battlefield, draw a card effect, 
let's make it a little bit spicier, and you already know what's on top of your library, how would you resolve those triggers? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends a whole lot on whether you like the card on top of your library, right? Like, yeah. if, if you want that card in your hand, draw a card, then scry one. Because if you're going to scry one first, you know it's there. Yeah. You know what you're going to do with it. You've so, basically wasted a scry. Yeah. Unless you didn't like the card, in which case, 100% resolve the effect. So you scry one, put that on the bottom, and draw the other card. Exactly right. Yep. There you go. That's It's like one scenario, or two scenarios, same triggers, resolved differently because you have the information and because you're aware of how you resolve triggers. 100%. Now, I do want to say, there are some. now that you understand all this, there mm-hmm. are some wacky, wacky things that you can do once you understand how priority and how the stack works. Sure. For example, Cross and Grip is a card mm-hmm. that Walt and I have debated on this podcast before. <laughs> it's true. It's a removal spell, destroys a target enchantment or artifact, mm-hmm. and it has split second. Yeah, which so is- while it's on the stack, players can't uh, cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities correct however split second can be counterspelled really with a morph called i think it's pronounced keru spell snatcher keru spell snatcher and you can do this with no untapped lands what what is this card hold on i'm looking it up get it up on scryfall it's it's um spell snatcher there you go all right read the card a morph, so you can play it face down for three generic mana. It morphs for four blue blue, so you flip it face up. Mm-hmm. It's a three three Naga Wizard. When it's turned face up, counter target spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost for as long as it remains exiled. Holy cow, because morph is a special action. You got it. You can, it's not activating an ability or casting a spell. Correct. It is a special action. You can just so, fully morph this in response to a Crossing Grip. That is hilarious. You know what's also more wild? You what? could do this with no untapped lands and you could... You could just do it by activating abilities of mana rocks mm-hmm. uh, because they're mana abilities, which is a special action as well. True. You could also activate the Selesnia Silvala that parlays. Bec- That's true. Because that ability. is a mana ability, it yeah. is also a special action. And mm-hmm. with all that mana, you could turn your Keru Spell Snatcher face up, which is a special action, <laughs> but puts a trigger on the stack to counter, to counter its frozen grip. grip. That's hilarious. I so, love that. It's pretty cool, it totally right? totally works. Now, be- because I feel like I've enlightened you a little bit, I mm. want to see if you can solve a scenario. Just okay. as a fun way to end this podcast. Sure. I'm going to outline a scenario. That if you can solve, I will... Uh, Chris Pi 5. Chris Pi 5, or I will give you Witch Claw Talisman the next time I have it. Okay, sounds or good. Or Scheming Symmetry. Sure. Feels like a good deal. All right. Right, so the situation is, we're in a 1v1 situation right at the very end of the Commander game. Mm-hmm. I am on one life. Yeah. You have a Sir Conrad and a creature that you can sacrifice for free. Mm-hmm. But I have an ability on my board that says whenever a creature, an opponent controlled dies, I gain one life. Mm-hmm. How on, it is your turn currently, how do you win the game? Uh, I know this one because I watch a lot of Snapbolt games play Pauper. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him lose to this before. I pass to your turn. Yes. And I sacrifice that on my t- on your turn because your trigger to gain a life will go on the stack and above that trigger will be my Sir Conrad trigger. You lose a life and lose the game. Bravo, Walt. So- 
This is a really good example of Apnap. Yeah. Because if Walt sacrificed that creature on his turn, mm -hmm. I would gain one life before I would lose a life yeah. because his triggers go on the stack before mine. So the way to win is actually passing to your opponent and mm. doing it in their upkeep. The uh, way that I saw Snapbot lose to this was pretty hysterical. He'd specifically built this deck around a card that I love because I built my Dune Brood food deck around it. <laughs> Such um, a cool it's deck. The six mana five five. I'm blanking on the name. But it says whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard, you may gain five life. Fangren Marauder. Fang Marauder. Yeah. So it's a that he was play, built a deck entirely around that because at the time Affinity was disgusting. Yeah. And it was winning with Disciple of the Vault, which and, is now banned. Yes, and a Tog, which yeah. is the also, also banned. now banned. <laughs> I think at the time a Tog was banned, but people were playing, still playing Disciple of the Vault, but with um the whenever you sac you sac sacrifice an artifact, does one damage to each creature without flying. Uh, Krak Clan Shaman. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, basically, he had like four Fangrim Marauders on the battlefield and lost in his upkeep because this person sacked their entire board to um, makeshift munitions. Oh, the pay one sack it deals one damage to any target. Yep, they had oh, that. that's good. And I think they had Disciple of the Vault as well. But importantly, yeah, they just did it on Snap Bolt's upkeep and so responded to every single instance of gaining five life by adding another trigger. So yeah, Snap Bolt lost the game with the triggers on the stack to gain like a hundred life, but died because the person resolved their triggers properly. App nap. When App you understand nap. it, you can use it as a weapon. When it's you don't, great. you will die to it. Yeah. But look, I genuinely think at the end of this whole episode, just generally understand all of this stuff just makes you a better magic player in general. It does. Okay. When you're taught the rules of magic, you're often told that each player takes their turn in casting spells and attacking, and then you find out there are spells you can cast on your opponent's turn, and it, open up, it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Then you find out that multiple things can happen at once, or multiple things can maybe happen at once <laughs> on the stack, and then you can interact with that. The more you dive into Magic's rules, the more you can find even the very basics of the game have deep complexities that can be leveraged for a competitive advantage in-game. Really understanding how priority is passed and how things are put on the stack can give you the Neo view of the Matrix, <laughs> all of those green lines of code showing your path to victory, or showing how you can best interrupt your opponent. So... Space Commanders, Command Received! And to you listeners out there, do you feel commanded? How do you best utilize priority in the stack? And did you know combat had five steps in it? It's a ridiculous... Uh, I would love a t-shirt that actually had every phase. Because you know, like, Untap, Upkeep, Draw is a t-shirt? Mm -hmm. I want a shirt that says, Untap, Upkeep, Draw, beginning of com pre-combat main <laughs> phase, uh, active player gains priority, combat, beginning of combat. Like, I would love that on a t-shirt. James, you can't wait wear a book i know i think i can you 281 can. page rule document if i have <laughs> a long sleeve t-shirt actually a long sleeve t-shirt and maybe a matching tracksuit <laughs> pants to pair with it and extremely small text for sure <laughs> um you can chat to us in a few different ways you can join our discord server which is linked in the show notes and uh chat with us and you can also leave us a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast on so specifically spotify apple Podcasts. you can't do it on google Podcasts because they stink they do stink but you I should just google tell Podcasts. your friends about us instead if that's the, w the way you want to go yeah and of course um a very big shout out to our patreon uh that is linked in the show notes for more ways to support the get commanded podcast and get great benefits for you uh we'd like to thank our patrons stella tam 
and Fuzzy. And we'd also like to make a very special shout out to Fletcher Cutting for supporting us in that Space Commander tier. Fletcher, you are the best. It's true. And we'd also like to say thanks to Palms Off Gaming, who sponsor this podcast. They make some really, really outstanding deck boxes, sleeves, binders, other gaming accessories, including the deck box and sleeves that the uh, Thrifty Thursdays deck I featured last week yeah. is in. So that's definitely something I'll be using, and I'm appreciative for them providing me with that. And Walt can actually play this in store now, because it's, it's not a secret it's anymore. finally <laughs> not a secret. So you can check out their uh, what products they have on offer over at palmsoffgaming.com.au. All right, well, we have been talking about very complex magic stuff. Mm-hmm. I would like to planeswalk into a completely different world. Where are we going this week? It's your turn. We're going to Barbie! Barbie land? Barbie land. Do we have to... Oh, could we, like, roller skate? Yeah, and we can roller skate. Moon we can, mission? We can drive... I and think then there's there was a driving. rocket ship and a boat. There was, yeah, yeah, lots of steps. Um, it's just great. It was a really, really fun film with, like, actual good messaging in it. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. A legitimately, like, actual blockbuster film and not one that was filmed entirely in front of a green screen. Like, mm. did the groundbreaking things of having a set. Yeah, I've <laughs> having actually... Having props. I've seen the behind-the-scenes footage of the scene where they're travelling in and out of Barbie land. Yeah. And they used, like, a big rotating background yeah. to, like, make it look like a toys box. Like, it it was so well done. The film is so much better for it. I'm not disparaging CGI. I'm just saying that so many films are shot with the understanding that they can have a half-finished script and half-finished costumes and mm-hmm. set and just fix everything in post. And it is so refreshing to see a film that was like, no, no, we're going to actually build all this stuff yeah. and use it. And then, yeah, there'll be CG. There's totally CG in that film. Oh, 100%. But it won't be a crux that they rely on. It'll be supportive of the amazing sets and the amazing performances and the amazing r- yeah. writing in that film. I just, I absolutely loved it. It's such a good time. It's worth seeing in the, in the cinemas. For yeah, sure. I will say in terms of all of those things that you just listed, costumes, acting, writing, that everything was ticked in my mind yeah um ryan gosling's performance outstanding. was outstanding so good. his rendition of push by matchbox 20 yeah. is going to be the song of the summer i think <laughs> it's incredible for sure um i i love the film as well i think yeah. it's a great great movie it was it was a good time you should go see it yeah definitely do, do, do the barbenheimer double feature <laughs> <laughs> i actually haven't seen oppenheimer i haven't yet, seen oppenheimer so. either I, I booked some tickets in to see it at imax because apparently it was um filmed well, for imax nolan specifically wanted it in imax so he like filmed it on special cameras he and... filmed it on special film as well and really? i found out recently well he, there's two versions of the film and the one that he's in t- his intended experience is shot on like 1158 film or something i don't know anything about it don't at me on twitter <laughs> or anything but the only um camera for that can not camera the only um screen and like what's it what do you call that projector projector the only projector and screen in the southern hemisphere that can play 1158 is melbourne's imax melbourne's imax theater so the 1158 screenings have been booked like a month in advance basically booked out so that's all the film nerds in melbourne (laughs) yeah and also well people have i have some friends who work in the film industry and and like at cinemas and stuff and they said people are flying in from like japan to see it at Melbourne's IMAX because it's the only option they have available to them. Holy hell. Anyway, all that to say, I booked in like three weeks ago. I'm still not seeing it for like two more weeks. Oh my lord. Because I was like, I should experience this for myself. And apparently it looks really amazing. I should probably book in then if I want to get see it before it leaves the cinema. Should be fun. But also go see Barbie. Barbie's really, really Barbie fun. Barbie is so great. I really enjoyed it. And it was like genuinely just great messaging. Like the, yeah. it, Like genuinely watch it 
go online and have a read of some reviews, mm. but use your own critical thinking and actually think about what the film was saying. Yeah. Because there are some people online that are saying it's like anti-men and all that kind of stuff. It's such bullshit. It's definitely not. Yeah. Go watch the film and go laugh at the film. It's yeah, funny. One it's of my hysterical. huge underrated moments was when Barbie was called a capitalist and oh, she yeah. breaks down no, crying, fascist. a fascist and she says, I'm not a fascist. I don't control the railways yeah. and the flow of commerce. <laughs> yeah, right. it, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant movie. So, so funny. My, my highlight that keeps running through my head is when Barbie's like, hey Ken, can I come into your uh, Mojo Dojo Casa house? And he's like, uh, sure, just give me one second. And he walks out the back and goes, Sublime! <laughs> Sublime! <laughs> he, he did such a good job. For, for like a character that's like an anti-hero villain yeah, type, yeah. he played that perfectly. So well. Yeah. All the horses. Oh, man. Go see the film. It's, great. it's good fun. I'm surprised they didn't put Daryl Braithwaite's horses uh, in, this, in the movie. Just for the Australian yeah. screening? Yeah, they should have. <laughs> uh, well, that's all we have time for. So we'll see you next Friday for another transmission from the Space Commanders. Goodbye, Commander players.